Welcome back once again to Rhythms of Grace. My name's Nate. I'm here with the lead pastor of Grace Church, Sung Kim, and we have special guests here for uh, this season five. Yes, we have a couple here. Okay. Um, I think this is the first time we've had two people as a guest. Is that right? Uh, nope. Uh, when we one. did the Enneagram, oh, the we had two people. Okay. We had two sevens on. Oh, that's right. That That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was your wife and your son. That's right. Okay. So we have two other very special people here, Chris and Rachel Habuda. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's super exciting. So, Sung, can you remind us what season five is about? Yeah, season five, we're calling Out of the Ashes. It was a series that we did uh, during the Lenten season out of the book of Job. And um, we, as we neared the end of Job, we just, you know, that led to Easter Sunday. And so what we're doing is we're hearing the stories of people who have walked through the furnace of suffering and in their own stories, right? And, and that looks so many different different ways. It could be physical, emotional, spiritual, relational. And and then post Easter, like we just want to share like people's own resurrection stories of how Jesus came through to, to deliver them through that furnace. Yeah. Great. Well, so so Chris, Rachel, you guys want to tell us a little bit about yourself, tell our listeners who you are and what makes you so amazing. (laughs) Take it away, honey. <laughs> what if you What if you told us what makes the other person amazing? Oh, there Ooh, you go. <laughs> I like that. Okay, I I will go first. Okay, absolutely, perfect. yes. So, um, this is our ten year anniversary. Oh, in July. nice. We've been July. married for ten years. Um, we met then in Houston, Texas, mm. and I snagged him and brought him up to Michigan because all of my family was in Michigan. But we were both engineers at the time working for Dow Chemical. And now he has a really exciting job that he just started in January, and he's killing it. What is your job, Chris? So I work for a startup out of Silicon Valley working on uh, improvements to lithium-ion batteries for EVs. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And that's new in January. That's new in January, and it's very fast-paced, and it's a very startup-oriented uh, situation. Okay. So <laughs> we're scattered across the country. And right, and, like, everything on. is duct tape and barbed wire, essentially, <laughs> just, like... A little bit for me, but uh, our our executive staff is some heavy hitters. So. It's awesome. not their first rodeo. Okay. Oh. They're actually good people. Okay. That's great. But anyway, what I love most about him, and we'll talk more about this later, but he is the world's greatest husband and the world's greatest father. And I have evidence that he's the world's greatest <laughs> father. A lot of people say that, but I actually know that he is because James literally can't tell us apart. So he is so involved as a father that James calls him mommy and calls me daddy sometimes <laughs> because we're both such a part of his life that he just messes up our names. I've never seen that anywhere else, but because Chris is so involved with him and he spends so much time with him and he's such a hands-on dad that James is just like, oh yeah, like you guys are my parents. That's I don't awesome. even know who you are because you're both so hmm. such a part of my life. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And we should probably mention that James is in the background. So if you hear someone playing joyfully. <laughs> yes. And that that is actually going to be part of the, their resurrection story. And so we're excited to hear about that. But um, Chris, sh- you should probably say something nice about Rachel. <laughs> I'm just going to give just, throw you a bone here. I've been collecting my thoughts. There's so much to say. I mean, how do you how do you even begin? <laughs> Words to, cannot to reflect, express. Exactly, exactly. the list. So Rachel is just a, 
I think, a joy to anybody who knows her. And so, obviously, I was happy to sign up to move to Michigan and <laughs> leave my career and go across the country to be with her mm-hmm. and near her family and to follow a job opportunity that she had. Um, and we've loved being in Ann Arbor for the last nine years. And um, I think that she's just somebody that is really good at speaking life into others Mm. um and so i've seen that follow her kind of wherever she's gone and into this kind of new stage where she's decided to stop working for a while to to be at home with with james now and uh kind of moving forward into some things we might talk about with with our future um but seeing her be able to be fully present with james is um, just something that is very fulfilling yeah. and uh, really exciting that, yeah, I, c- I could talk about her and, and the, the things that make me very happy to be her husband mm. uh, for a long time. Awesome. Awesome. So, Sung, do you want to get us get us started on this on with some questions? Yeah. So, you know, Habuda's. Uh, I've known you for a while since you've been coming to Grace, and we were even in a community group together for a little bit. And so, I've known a little bit of your story, and I think um, have been at least a, a peripheral part as you've journeyed through a number of things. Uh, so, so tell me about life kind of before we kind of get into some of the furnace and some of the struggles, like, well, not that you didn't have struggles pre furnace, but the furnace that we're going to be talking about, tell, tell us about like early marriage and kind of what life was like before you entered into this, into this season that you're in some sense, there has been resurrection, but it, it's still a continual journey. It, it's not like one resurrection and it's once and done. Right. <laughs> It's not once and done. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of hills and valleys. Um, But yeah, before, again, we went through lots of different things. Before all of that happened again, um, we had just moved to Michigan from Texas. We were looking around for churches. We found Grace. Um, and we absolutely loved it. We loved it. Not because was, of the pastor. I was going to say, there was, good, there was good preaching. There was good preaching. I don't know about now. Was. Yes. Well, we're still here. Um, but we had just the best community group ever. We had leaders who just really fed into us. All of the members were very close. Everyone was kind of in like the young professional stage of life. And some people were married and some people were single. But um, it was just a fantastic group to be part of that really got us started at the church and got us started in in life in Ann Arbor. So going out and kayaking and going out and exploring the area, trying different restaurants and things. um, It was just a really, really nice way to kind of ease into um, kind of our new life together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so funny. We've heard that so many times about community groups, especially because Ann Arbor is a place where people sort of land from the outside and everyone is, I mean, you, looking for a support network and our community groups at grace which are small groups that meet weekly or bi-weekly sort of just to live life together is often a place where people sort of find that support network that that they kind of left behind which i'm assuming you guys did if you were working jobs both living in texas you probably had a church and you had friends and you pro- chris you probably had a family and so you sort of land here and what do you do you know um so that's great it's great to hear i feel like you especially like connecting with all of the men in the group because you came here. I had my family. Mm-hmm. I grew up mm-hmm. here. I had friends here from high school and college. And then he just kind of came because of me. God bless his heart. Yeah, I think that I 
was very settled in Texas, and but my family had moved around a lot when I was younger, so uh, I wasn't sold on any place, and it was easy for me to uproot. There yeah. was no strong roots anywhere. Um, but I was connected in a church that had been very uh, instrumental in kind of going through a very hard time of my life mm-hmm. and had connected with a community group there and was very... Um, tied to that that area for for a little while yeah um getting here and getting connected with a community group and um developing a network of close friends and and people that i could walk out life with yeah um i think was really important for me to feel at home So then you're, you, you're, you both land here, you have your careers and jobs, and then, and, and then you start, uh, I'm assuming, start, start to think about uh, starting a family. Yep. Uh, for me, that probably started when I was like <laughs> third grade, so <laughs> it was very heavily on my mind. Yeah. Actually, I can tell you exactly when it was. Okay. It was 1999, and it was New Year's Eve. And my little cousin, Calvin, had just been born. He was a December baby, and I was at my grandparents' house for New Year's Eve down in Nashville, Tennessee, and I held him for, like, hours. Mm -hmm. I held him for, like, hours. He was, like, brand new, and I was like, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to be a mom. Like, this is it. Like, I want to do this. So, absolutely. Definitely on my mind. Got to get a husband first, though. (laughs) (laughs) In most cases, not all, but that's the route I wanted to take. So, yeah, I was married and like, let's do this. Like, we both love children where we were ready for sure. Were you ready both at the same time? Yeah, I think that we both kind of entered into uh, marriage with an idea that we would spend a few years in Texas before moving to Michigan. We always planned to move. Um but she had a job opportunity like five months after we got married. Mm. And we're like, okay, we're going to sell She's the gonna house. going to change everything at once. <laughs> the house that we bought six months earlier, we were selling. And oh, we man. were changing everything very quickly. Um, and I think that w- once we got here, we were like, all right, let's just mm. keep going. And yeah. then get started with building a family. Yeah, that was another key thing. Us moving here was because I wanted to be near family when mm-hmm. we had children. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to be... Because Texas was great. We had a lot of friends there. We loved our church there. But we, there was no family there mm-hmm. um, that you can call and you know, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that was really helpful moving here. Yeah. So then you wanted to start a family, and then, bam, it happened? No. So <laughs> we, we, uh, we struggled for quite a while. Uh, we, I don't think. Struggle might not be the right word because we just kind of were taking it. Mm-hmm. It'll happen when it happens. And we were getting connected with community and everything. So we weren't in a hurry, but we were uh, once, obviously, once six, nine months starts to pass with nothing happening, you start questioning what's taking so mm-hmm. long. And mm-hmm. um, and then when it months stretches to years, uh, that's when you start looking into other options and uh, so it was yeah. it was years of of sort of like yeah again being ready and being willing and trying and just nothing happening yeah i think it it was it was probably years before we started to think about 
what our other options mm, might be. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Hmm. So how, how, yeah, how was that time for the two of you? Like as it sort of started to stretch, I mean, so I'll just, I, I know that those things impact relationships. Mm. I'm wondering how it impacted yours as, again, you were relatively newly married at the time still, right? So how was that for the two of you? I mean, I feel like it brought us closer together. Really? I feel like the longer that it dragged on, like the more intentional we were about like, okay, yeah, we really want this to happen. We should maybe start looking into other things. Hmm. Um, but what was also interesting in other relationships was, again, our community group when we first got here was no kids. Mm-hmm. And then as we started to talk about, you know, starting a family and children, everyone in our group. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone in our group who was married, like all got pregnant at the same time. They're all having kids. And we were kind of just like, congratulations. Mm. That's great. Like mm. it's a wonderful, happy, joyous, amazing thing. But again, it's, it's bittersweet because you're so, so, so happy for your friends. And it's, it's such a miracle from the Lord. It really, yeah. really, really is a miracle that where any of us are here. It's a tremendous process. But like I'll just speak for myself. It was very, very hard, you know, going to baby showers and hearing the worst stories at the hospitals and what labor's like and all of that stuff. And I, you know, just kind of smile and nod and, you know, just do it. So at what point did you go from like, hey, we've been trying for a while. Maybe this isn't like may, may, maybe it's more than just like. Maybe it's something else. A- and then when did you start looking for alternatives? Like when did that transition happen? Yeah, I think that we, life was very full at the time. Mm-hmm. And so with our jobs, with our friends, with church, with uh, family, we were very busy with uh, other life thing circumstances going on that uh, we were able to ignore kind of the background questions that mm-hmm. were, were hitting our minds and um, we, we hit this point, I think that once we started having all of our friends get pregnant, um, that we started to be a little bit more concerned. You start to have this urgent feeling of wait, we would like our kids to be the same age mm-hmm. as our friends' kids. And, uh, the clock starts hitting a little bit more urgently and you start to feel, um, like, this kind of trepidation of how do we with it's now completely out of our control. All we can do is take it before God and, Mm -hmm. and hope that things kind of change. Mm -hmm. Um, But we started looking into all of the options before us. And at the time, Rachel's job had coverage for IVF uh, and um, that was a huge blessing to be able to at least look into that to try that um and have it be covered for us yeah just for the listener's sake what's ivf ivf is in vitro fertilization Mm -hmm. um and actually it's interesting because i was at like a routine exam um with my OBGYN, and he was just asking you know are you interested in having children or not and i'm like yeah we've been trying for a really long time and he's like well if it it takes you more than a year you may want to get tested and look into Mm -hmm. other things and just something to think about. It takes more than a year. So I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's definitely take more mm-hmm. than a year. So so that's kind of when <coughs> you start to realize, oh, maybe uh, we need to look at alternatives. Right, right. So 
So we did find a clinic in Ann Arbor with just the nicest doctor ever. Um, he had actually worked with members of my family before and was just so kind. Um, and we're both engineers, and he w- he goes beyond with explanations. <laughs> so um, we really, really, really liked our experience there. Um, and yeah, we did. We decided to try try that route. And yeah, we did have great insurance at the time, which really helped. Also, yeah, that was yeah. another blessing. Yeah, so we decided to jump into it. So then you go into IVF, and what was that process <laughs> like, and what what happened there? Uh, clinical is the word I would say. I <laughs> guess it, it, it's it just you start following the process and the steps, and and going through everything necessary for, uh, yeah, developing kind of. Rachel and 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 yeah it was mostly me (laughs) it was was mostly me um it's a lot a lot of shots a lot of pills you have to take them at like the same time every day um it's it's like a whole giant package of all these medical supplies and then you have to set up schedules and um you have to stay in very close touch with your doctor um it's extremely intense and it's very 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 hard on your body they pump you full of all these medications um, to try to, you know, develop you in certain ways. And then they try to get you to follow schedule certain ways so that they can plan surgeries on certain days. Everything has to be exact. Oh, my goodness. Um, and it was the most I had ever weighed in my life. <laughs> and I was very self-conscious about it. And I was, like, buying, like, empire-wasted shirts and stuff already. And I was like, oh, my good gracious, I'm not even pregnant. And I'm just, like, <laughs> so huge. But... That's just kind of the, the effect that the hormones have on your body. It's very uh-huh. hard on your body. But I think one thing to, to mention is after being tested, the doctors were very positive about our possibilities. Mm. Okay. So we were expecting this to be a very successful. Yeah. Mm. Kind of like it's worth it because it's almost guaranteed kind of a thing. Or Yeah. We were really likely. good candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We ended up with six embryos, I think. I think we've. We ended up with six, but then we had, like, extra eggs, and we froze the eggs as well. Um, but we're like, yeah, like, we're all six. Like, we're in. Like, if we get six kids, like, that's how many <laughs> that we have. Like, we'll just be this ultra success story. It's going to be amazing. So <laughs> we just jumped into it. But the first session, we decided to only do one, just try for one. Um, they recommended twins, and I was like, mm, let's just start with one. <laughs> We'll yeah, with there. them kind of giving us high odds of success, we yeah. were like, Let, yeah. let's just have one kid to start. And <laughs> so we were, I think, overconfident about our chances. Yeah, and um, so we went in and we had the procedure done. And I, I don't remember if it was... If it was after the procedure or before the procedure. But what was interesting is that we, we decided to only do one the first round... And I had a, I don't, I can't remember if it was a vision or if it was a dream, but I remember seeing Jesus and I was holding a baby boy in my arms and Jesus took the boy out of my arms. Mm. And the strangest part of it, maybe not so strange because God works in mysterious ways, but Jesus was smiling. He was smiling like as he took my child out of my arms which is just crazy to me. Yeah. Um, but 
he he knew he knew what was going to happen, and I think he was trying to tell me that it was okay. Um, so obviously, you know, the first one didn't take. So I believe that we lost a little boy. It was way way too early to know, but yeah, yeah. that's just what I believe. Yeah. And then the rest of the process. <coughs> Because there's five more eggs, right? There were five more, yeah. So then we were like, okay, we'll do twins next time. Um, the doctor was recommending that, you know, doing two at a time would be totally fine. And again, like, twins is not a big deal. Women have twins all the time. It's totally fine. So we did go through um, with the second round. The second round didn't take again. Again, just totally devastated. Um, very, very hard, especially losing two at a time. Um you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, they're just embryos. Like, you didn't know them. Like, they're not like they were your children. You, didn't, you never held them, you know, any of that. But I, for me personally, again, I really felt the loss as losing children, as losing the, the could have been, the might have right, been. Right. Um, and I took it very, very hard. I took it very hard. Yeah. And I think I was more on the logical path of our next step, next step, next step. I'm very process-oriented. Yeah. And so uh, – it was easy for me to just lose myself in the process and not connect quite as emotionally as Rachel was during that time. H how was that for you as a couple again? I mean, w were you able to sort of navigate? I mean, it's interesting because my wife and I have a very similar sort of perspective in the midst of trial, and it's been an issue for us. Was it an issue for the two? Was it something you were able to work through? Or I think at the time for me... It was hard. Not that you ever want your beloved husband or wife to, to suffer. To suffer. <laughs> yeah, right. But I did, you know, I did feel like it was a little unequal. And I'm like, well, I want you to be more sad mm -hmm. about this. But now looking back on it, I really feel like that was a mercy to us. Because he had to be the solid mm. one to keep us moving, to keep us going. Mm. If we were both in pieces, because I was in pieces. I mean, I was just oh. in shambles. And I think I really did need his strength and his just clear, logical, right, yeah. to get us yeah. going, yeah. And that's probably something you can only see in retrospect, because in the moment, it feels very hurtful, or it could. Like, why do you not see my need, and why can't you empathize or understand? And or so why don't you feel the same, yeah. like, why aren't you feeling the loss the right. same way do I am? Do you not care about our kids? I mean, these are legitimately <laughs> conversations my wife and I have had, so I, like, to I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, yeah. And finding each other and finding your way sort of back onto the same team in the midst of that is hard. It's hard work. But the fact that you said at the very beginning, and it was just kind of a one-off, but want to come back to it the fact that you feel like it brought the two of you closer yeah i mean really speaks to your ability to sort of find each other even when you're sort of in different places which is really commendable and then we had a third round the third round we did another set of twins so then that's five babies total mm. um and the third round took oh yeah we got a positive test and we were over the moon, like we couldn't believe it. We could not believe it at all. Yeah. Is that the one that Becca came with me? I don't know, but I remember <laughs> that you had texted me at work, and I worked at a <laughs> chemical plant at the time, and I was out in the plant in a very uh, unsafe place to be receiving text messages, and, um, and I got that announcement, and I kind of just, like, 
stopped for a minute and and had to collect myself because it seemed a little bit surreal that after all of this like logical processing of where things could go, what our options were, what were we going to do that it was like all right now's go time. Yeah. Um it was it was kind of a switch gear what what now kind of moment yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like ah twins. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um but we later went in as as the pregnancy progressed, we later went in and um, they were old enough to have heartbeats. And we, I was at the doctor's office and there was only one oh. heartbeat. There was only one. So we did, we had lost, we had lost one of the babies early on. Um, but the other one was still strong, had a very, very healthy heartbeat. Um, and everything was going great. Um and we were so excited. We were rejoicing. It was finally happening for us. Um, that was Thanksgiving of 2015. So that was when we told everyone. We told everyone around the Thanksgiving table. Although I had forgotten the little ultrasound picture, and I felt bad about that. But what do you do? But everyone was excited. We were excited. We told everyone. They were all rejoicing. They knew had it been a struggle for us. Um, and, yeah, we thought we were going to do it. Um, but that, so Thanksgiving's on a Thursday. Um, that Sunday I started bleeding and, um, it was a lot and it was so much that Chris had to rush me to the hospital because we didn't know if I would need a transfusion. Um, and obviously we were concerned about our child. Um, but we went into the, we went to St. Joe's ER and, um, I could I could hardly I was panicking, I was hyperventilating. I never knew what hyperventilating was. Mm. I had seen it in movies and people breathing in paper bags, but I never knew what it actually was or what it felt like yeah. until that day as he was driving me to the hospital and I was just, I was like experiencing this crazy emotional physical reaction to what was going on and to this tragedy in our lives. Um, we got to the hospital. I was admitted. They took me over to a bed. They got out um, a monitor, and they were looking for our heartbeat. <coughs> and they found one, and I was like, is that my heartbeat or is that the baby's? And the nurse at the time said, that's the baby's. Mm. So I was like, oh, okay, like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And um, the nurse in the ER came over to me, and she was just like, I just want to let you know that we've had a lot of losses this week and that seeing that you still have a heartbeat after the amount of blood that he lost is amazing. And she's like, that's, that's a miracle. She was like, I was praying for you. Mm -hmm. Um, she's like, I'm so happy. She's like, I needed this. (laughs) 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 And I was like, "Ah, I'm happy too. Um, so anyway, we went home and I was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not touching it. I'm not, I'm going to just lay in bed and I'm just going to lay in bed. I laid in bed the whole day and all the next morning. And then we went into our doctor um just to check everything out and then when we got to our doctor there was no heartbeat and he tried and tried and tried and tried and tried bless his heart he tried so many times um but there was no heartbeat so we had lost the baby and that one we lost a little bit later in the process and that one was probably the worst out of all of the losses yeah can't even imagine after the the mountain peak experience of hearing the news 
after all the um, disappointments and setbacks, and then now you're back down in the valley. Yeah, and and I think that saying up until this point, neither one of us had had huge tragedy in our life. Mm-hmm. So um, we've had some emotional ups and downs, me more than Rachel had. Rachel had had almost none. Um, and so it was interesting. I had learned to process grief a little bit more, uh, up to that point. And so I was a couple steps ahead in moving through the process. Uh, and Rachel was, I think a lot more devastated. Um, not that we both weren't, but, um, that we kind of had a heart to heart at that moment and talked about, okay, we have one last embryo. We can try that, and your insurance would cover another round of IVF, and we can keep doing it because we're such good candidates, and we have now know that we can get pregnant. We can just keep going forward with yeah. this and, and wait till it Like till work it the system, essentially. Just yeah, like, it, it was a, we were thinking the the power of odds like the numbers are yeah. in our favor if we keep going eventually it's going to work um but i asked rachel like emotionally is this yeah. too much mm-hmm. um do you want to keep trying or do you want to do this last embryo transfer mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work adoption we have a lot in my family my a lot of my aunts and uncles my brother a lot of our family has adopted mm-hmm. um some through necessity, some through passion. Um, but we we had put that on the table early on and knew that if IVF didn't work, that we wanted to move forward with adoption. Yeah. Um, so we already had that on our list of options, and we, we decided uh, at that point, if this last transfer doesn't work, where do you want to go from here? And I think at that point, that's when we decided emotionally we just wouldn't yeah. be able to keep going with the mm. IVF. Wow. I think that's a. I think that's a, a. I think that's a powerful point. And again, my family has had lots of um, medical issues and and tragedies, but there there is sort of like this line between what is sort of medically possible and what you can sort of emotionally handle. And I, I think that people don't, it's hard to experience that line unless you're sitting in the middle of it, where suddenly you're like, I just, I understand that these options exist. I simply don't have, or my family doesn't have sort of the gas in the tank to, to pursue this anymore. I've totally, I've totally been there. And it's one of those things you just don't, you don't realize it exists until you're sort of in the middle of it. Um, and you guys chose to, sort of say, nope, the emotional side of it is what's carrying the most weight right now. And I think we had a little bit of a blessing to be able to peek behind the curtain on the adoption process Mm -hmm. and have seen other family members go through that process and know kind of what that would be in like encompassing and what we'd be getting ourselves into and the fulfillment of it as far as um, whether or not we felt emotionally prepared for that journey. Okay. So you tried again, though. Yeah, we did. I mean, we, we weren't going to be like, ha, 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 little embryo, you can just stay in the mm. freezer. We're not even going to try. We would never do that. 
And again, it's because that's our child. Again, that's how I view things. I'm like, that's my child. Of course, like we will. If we had had six kids, we would have had six kids. We would have just kept going if they had all stuck. Um, So we went to go do the last one. And literally as we were driving to have the procedure done, um, we got the call that the embryo didn't make it. Um, so they had nothing to implant. So they were like, you can just go home. Oh. And that was, again, that was really hard. And I was also kind of mad because, so for this pr- particular procedure, they give you Valium. And I hadn't taken my Valium yet, so I didn't even, like, get the edge taken off. <laughs> so I went home and I turned in all my meds like a like a good person should. You <laughs> did for real. I did, I did, yeah. I took them all back to the office. Um, and I was like, I'm not doing this again we are adopting Hmm. yeah yeah i think before she said that i took that as a like since we didn't even get to do the transfer i put the option back on the table of we can keep going through this process it's covered by insurance there's there's no financial aspect to this um if if you feel robbed of the opportunity we can we can go through it again i'm willing um and I think it took her all of a split second to say, absolutely no. not. Wow. So wow. then at this point, then, you're looking at adoption. And I know that that's had its own hills and valleys there too, right? Yeah. Adoption is not covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are several, several grants and loans, and there there is financial assistance available for that. Available for that, but um, it's much typically much more difficult um, to get. C- can I can I ask how I don't even know how expensive is adoption? So, yeah, I was thinking through a comment I was going to say about. Once you decide for adoption, there's now all kinds of new options that are on the table as far as do you want to consider domestic? Do you want to consider international? Do you want to consider a a newborn or a foster to adopt situation? Or do you want to consider maybe a uh, toddler or an older child Mm -hmm. that that needs a home? And and so uh, we had to consider all those options. Uh, I think because of where we were in our journey, we wanted to have that hospital to like full full um full journey yeah with 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 our child and so uh we knew we wanted to do a newborn um my family i've seen domestic and international uh i have two nephews who were adopted from taiwan Mm -hmm. and uh so we we kind of knew that there's i mean in michigan there's a there's a big need and so uh knowing that we wanted to be in Michigan, we wanted to stay in Michigan, uh, and we also wanted an open adoption, uh, which is where we continue to have a relationship with the birth parents uh, so they can still see uh, kind of the development. But going back to your question as far as financials, um, depending on which of those routes you choose, they can all be very different. Okay. And if you work with an agency that kind of helps uh, – offer a lot of services related to uh, therapy for birth parents right? Um, and uh, really making it a holistic journey for everyone involved so that it's not emotionally uh, a downturn for anyone mm-hmm. in, the, mm-hmm. in the process. Um, those things all add costs. Yeah, yeah. So I would just say for us, 
It was it was in the ten to fifteen thousand okay range. <laughs> Rachel saying it's more, and, and I'll say too, as you debate about which one is right. <laughs> they're, they're talking off the mic at each other. <laughs> they're right like now. shaking their heads, giving each other eyes, like what? What are you Making, crazy? <laughs> maybe I undersold it. Maybe we spent a little bit more than uh, that. Uh, but but there are a lot of options that you can do more cost effectively yeah. Yeah, yeah. or going for some of the grants that Rachel mentioned. Sure. Well, so some of the p- families that I know that have adopted, and I think, I don't know if it's domestic or, or um, international, but it's in the tens of thousands yeah. of dollars, right. like multiple, right. like 30,000 is like not, you know, yeah, it's not easy for it to go up to the 25, 30,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can I ask before, cause I, I, I do want to hear more about this, but I, I also want to ask sort of about like your emotional state at the time. Was it a pretty rapid pivot for the two of you to simply say like, all right, like this door's closed, we're full bore or was there time of processing or grieving or how did that all I'm, go about? I'm so process driven yeah. that as soon as we knew that was the option, <laughs> I signed up. I could have, I could have, I could have guessed that that was how and, you and I'm responded. Not, I've not been gifted patience as, mm. as one of my, uh, spiritual gifts. So, <laughs> okay. um, I was from the moment I knew that's what we wanted to do. I was driving the process. Mm. Mm. And how about you, Rachel? Yeah. If I'm being honest, I still get like a little disappointed every month mm. when I'm not pregnant. Mm. Really? Yeah. Like to this day. And I still, I went to a Bible study on Monday and there were women around me and they were all telling their war stories from childbirth. And I'm just, just sitting there like my hands folded. Yeah, I think for both of us, the the fact that we know we can get pregnant, it makes it almost more uh, frustrating that like that it continues to not happen because there's no reason we can't. That, that is, yeah, that's that is hard. That's it's um, like when you have hope, it's almost it's harder than in some cases it's almost like harder than not having it at all. But, I mean, that being said, again, I'm trying to be authentic here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, so I do still struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I was really excited to adopt. There's so, so much that is just rich in scriptures about how that is who we are as Christians. and That we were adopted. Right. And yeah. it's such a broken, broken, broken process, but we're broken people. But there's, it's the beauty from ashes. It's coming out of it. It's the resurrection story. It's, okay, we went through this hard time. But God can make something so beautiful out of it. And again, as Chris was saying, you know, seeing our our amazing nephews and all the people in our family who have been just deeply impacted by adoption and how incredible it can be, I was really, mm. really, really excited and to I, get I, started. I think it's helpful to point out that those two things can occur simultaneously. Yeah. Like you can continue to grieve the tragedy and f- be excited about the new opportunity. I mean, thankfully, we're complex enough that those two things can coexist, but that can also be difficult to, to sort of, that line can be difficult to traverse, right? You know, you feel sad when you should be feeling happy or you feel bad for feeling happy when maybe you feel like I should still be grieving. Like, that's sort of like the, the muddy mix that we live in in the midst of, of walking our way forward. So, Wow. Yeah, no, we were excited, and we we looked at maybe three or four different adoption agencies. Yeah, and we settled on Bethany Christian Services. And for me, it was we walked in, and they were like, "Okay, before we do anything, we're gonna pray." And I was like, "Oh, well, <laughs> well yes, of course we're gonna pray." 
So that was really, really nice working with them. So how long was the process for you? And, and then how do you even, I, I don't know the process enough, but how do you even come to like uh, for, for James to be chosen by either the agency or you? Like what does that even look like? Do you choose or w what's the process there? So the front end is a lot of training and paperwork and getting physicals and making sure that your house is having a home study done, making sure your house is a welcome environment. Um, and so it's very clerical uh, on the front end. And once you're able to kind of go through all of that, you end up on when everything is qualified, everything's approved, then you're on the wait list. And when you hit the wait list, it's, it's kind of this be prepared that it could happen tomorrow or it could happen a few years. It's from like now. hurry up and wait. It's like a constant state of, of readiness. Yeah, that so sounds exhausting <laughs> in of itself. So you have the car seat ready. You have like a, a diaper bag ready. You have everything prepared. You have the nursery wow. ready. So you're you're living in this state of uh, the 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 baby could be coming tomorrow. You're like a baby prepper, essentially. Yes. You're like you got you have the supplies in the basement, and you've got your bug out bag packed, and it's like at any moment you could need to. Uh, to get get rolling exactly wow. so it was it was it took us not long the first time to get the paperwork and everything done was maybe six months maybe a little longer than that it took me a minute <laughs> they want everything they want every single piece of paper you've ever made in your entire life not really but it was extremely exhaustive and i i had to make a couple requests to like government agencies to get some of our paperwork and it took wow. a while yeah but we did it, and then we got on the waiting list in January of 2017. Yeah. yeah. And then how long was the uh, the wait? So at in 2017, there was quite a lot of adoptions happening. Um, so we hit the wait list in January, and we we had we had a few different cases and. Uh, up front, when you apply, you kind of checkmark situations that you may be open to or, okay. or not open to. Yeah. Um, so in our case, there was uh, just so when you're thinking about things like alcohol or drugs or uh, potential uh, mental illness yeah. or things like that, what you feel capable as parents yeah. of, of taking on. The possibility of your child maybe having one of these things, one of these issues to deal with. Yeah, and we were very open at the time. Um, we said, you know, any gender, any race. So we took all the transracial adoption uh, training classes, and we were we were open, you know, to some drug exposure, you know, some certain mental um, conditions. We were open to. Um, so they contacted us for quite a few. Like, are you open mm -hmm. to this? Are you open to this? Hmm. Yeah. So our profile was shown maybe three times. So, meaning that there were three occasions where you had to look at... You were like a potential Correct. match. So, they contacted us and said, this is a potential situation. Are you open to it? Us showing your profile to the birth mm. parents. Oh, I see. And so, it goes both ways. So, yeah. I see. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So, the birth mom in those situations gets three to five uh, potential families, okay. and she gets to choose... Huh. Uh, 
which couple or family she feels comfortable okay. with. If she wants to. Some sure. of them will just say, just pick whoever is top of the list, uh. or they'll say you pick. Yeah. I see. Wow. So but what? Sorry, go No, ahead. I was just going to ask. So th- so you had a couple, and did any of those? So obviously those those ones that we're discussing did not happen. Okay. Uh, some were because we said we weren't comfortable with the situation. Some were because our the profile pa- wasn't chosen. Okay. Um, but... This was all happening very rapidly. Um, in some ways, we said, like, you've got to be prepared overnight. But yeah. we heard so many stories about people waiting for years yeah. to adopt that we didn't expect it to start happening that fast. We were excited, but but kind of like, wow, this is like the third, fourth <laughs> right. opportunity. Right. Um, and uh, then March hits. Yeah. Well, you were the first one to be contacted. You want to tell from your side, and then I'll tell from my side? So March hits, and we're both still working at the time, and Rachel was on a work trip, uh, actually in Tijuana. Mm. And, uh, Boo-hoo. S- <laughs> I'm sure a work trip it's to Tijuana. It's not like that, yeah, Nate. You have not been to Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> this was not a beach vacation. I got it. Okay. <laughs> um, so she was she was on at work across the country in a place where she had no phone access mm. or anything. Uh, and I got an email that was like, here's a possible profile. And the situation of it was pretty much you're the only ones that would be a matching profile. Mm. So if you sign yes, it's like happening. It's, a, it's happening. Um, wow. And that raises the stakes a little bit, eh? And things that we were looking at, uh, it was like, yes, yes, yes. It was a perfect match. Mm. Um kind of things we had discussed, things we were hoping that our our uh, adoption would, would line up with. It was perfect. And so I started going crazy, like, trying to get a hold of Rachel uh, because they, they, they contacted us and said, a baby was born today. Wow. Um, and we need your answer today. Wow. Uh, so I was like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen if I can't get a hold of Rachel? Yeah. Uh, so I start texting, it's calling. Not, it's not emailing. really the kind of decision that you make, and then she comes back from a work trip, and <laughs> there's a baby waiting. Yeah, for her. it's it's not something where I'm like, <laughs> enjoy your trip nice when you get home. There's some, <laughs> some nice right. surprise. Got a surprise for you. Yeah. So from my perspective, again, I had been in the plant all day, and um, the way that like border control and the security for my company worked was that. You would have a security team drive you down to the border, walk across the border, and then the van picks you up, takes you to the plant. You do all your work, come back. The security team drops you off again at border control, and then you walk across the border, and the security van meets you on the other side. So I had literally just walked across the border, and so I was able to turn my phone back on, and I was walking toward the security van, and I'm like, five missed calls oh from Chris. I'm phone six voicemail. What's going on? And so I call him, and I was like, what, what? Because I, I didn't listen to the voicemails. <laughs> I just <laughs> called him. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> so he was like, you need to call our social worker. It's the it's the perfect case. He was like, it's the best situation. And he was like, you got to call her. You got to call her. I was like, ah, okay. So, yeah, I called our social worker, and she just explained the situation. And I was like, well, I am now back in the United States. So that's a good start. Um, but I am staying in San Diego, so I'm going to have to fly back to Michigan. But, yeah, our, our answer is yes. Our answer is absolutely yes. So let's do this. Um, so she was like, okay, like, I will tell the birth parents. So she did, and I called my boss. 
And my manager at the time, by the grace of Jesus, was this amazing Christian woman who had two small children, and she and I had already completely worked out a plan for me going on maternity leave, like, split second. Yeah. So I had already handed over all my projects. We had everything all laid out. She was so kind. I had to end my work trip a day early, so she managed everything and made sure that um, everything that needed to get done was completed. Um, and she was like, just go, just go. Wow. Go be a mom. So huh. it was wow. awesome. So you flew back to Michigan. And then how, I mean, was it literally like the next day you had a baby? Almost. So she cut her trip short and flew home in order to be home that day and go to the hospital. Uh, because of some circumstances at the hospital with the birth mom and different things, uh, they were like, just come back in the morning. Mm. Um, so the next morning, so James was born on a Wednesday. Friday morning, we went to the hospital, picked him up, and brought him home. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And what, what what date was that? He was born the 28th. So it would have been the 30th. 30th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that was – and that is also very nerve-wracking is meeting the birth parents. Mm. So both his birth mother and birth father were there. And in the training um, that they, they give you with the agency, you know, they say it's it's good when you go to the hospital, you know, bring, maybe bring a little something, you know, for the birth mom. Um, so I brought, like, little flowers on a card and, like, a little bracelet and um, stuff. But we were so nervous to meet them. Yeah. It's a very, very unique relationship. And we had requested an open adoption, and they had both wanted an open adoption. So this is a lifelong relationship that you're going to be entering into with these three people. <laughs> well, and it was unique. For us, because even though the birth mom and birth dad were not in a relationship, they both wanted to be a part of the open adoption to have an ongoing relationship with James, which is somewhat unique. It's, yeah. not, it's not always quite so involved, but that's something that um, we were really thankful for. Mm. So, yeah, we, we had a nice long, like, hour, hour and a half just chat where we just got to know them a little bit and... um and then it was like, all right, we're going to go home and get going with this. Yeah. We're in the elevator now. We're taking this baby out the door. <laughs> like, this is happening. We're it's really like doing such this. a strange feeling, isn't it? Like, taking a baby out of the hospital, you're like, they're letting us do this. Right. Is anybody going to stop me or give me a manual? Or like, yeah. yeah. And how old is James now? He just turned five years old. Wow. Oh, and here he is back in the room. Hey, James. Come to the microphone, and can you just say hi to all of our listeners? He's getting shy all of a sudden. <laughs> you, yeah, you don't have to. If you, you don't have to. to. Oh, man. So I'm not a performer. <laughs> That's okay. So, like, okay, so think about this whole story um, of infertility. Well, it's, it wasn't really, it's not infertility. Well, what is it? Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of, right? Yeah. And then IVF, uh, um, adoption, like, coming out of it, um, and, and you're, the story is not over, right? Uh, but what what are some things, looking back, um, what, what parts of your life or heart have been, like, ha has, has God just um, redeemed or stretched in you? during this whole um, story? Well, he definitely fulfilled my wish to be a mother. Mm. I 100% mm. 
to the tips of my toes, absolutely feel that I am fully a mom. Mm-hmm. James completely just filled that hole in my heart. He was the sweetest, cutest baby. He was a good sleeper, a good eater, just amazing. I, just a dream child. Like all of that waiting and all that hardship was so completely worth it. Absolutely would do it again. He is just so wonderful. I, I honestly could just be happy the rest of my life just being his mom. Mm-hmm. But (laughs) we both would like a little girl. So we're actually on the list again for a little girl right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You talk about like the peaks and valleys. And I would say that uh, the, the process with James has definitely fulfilled the family desire. Like we've been a family now for five years. We uh, have had so many incredible memories during that time. Um, so much so that it desired, grew a desire for, for another, uh, and this time has been more the, on the wait list for a few years, Really, Uh, obviously COVID kind of disrupted things. And so it's caused the wait to be a lot longer that, that goes to the, uh, broader industry, I guess. Mm. Uh, what a blessing. I mean, that, that means that there's, there's not as many unplanned pregnancies out there. So that's actually a really, really, really good thing. It's hard on us, but it's actually wonderful that there aren't tons and tons of unplanned pregnancies. Mm. Yeah. I think our, our desire, and I think everyone's desire is that families could remain together if, if possible. And if circumstances allow that we're hoping to step into need, Right. And uh, right. I mean, that's that's one of if you're adopting, it's because there it's there's a need that right, you are right. filling. And so in some ways for that to be absent can be also a blessing. Yeah. So it's 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 a broader positive. Yeah. Um, for our specific circumstance, it's it's one of those things where I'm impatient and it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I couldn't stress enough how much joy we have every day with James that. um there's there's not that feeling of uh, unfulfillment to yeah. it. It's it's more the feeling of um, we want cherry on top. It's it, it's it's adding to. It's it's a blessing that will come. Yeah. But we have so much more faith. I don't think it questions our faith mm-hmm. as much as the first time around mm-hmm. did. Um, but we're we're ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll also just say just being on the other side of things. So when we were going through everything we went through at the time, we were the only ones. We were the only ones in our friend group that had any problems ever for anything. Um, But since then, we have been able to minister to many, many people um, who are now going through the same thing. And being on the other side and having James and being able to to just comfort these people whose hearts are broken. Yeah. has really, really been amazing for our faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you collect uh, life experiences that then allow you to connect with other people who have had similar yeah. uh, experiences or who are going through similar experiences. And uh, I think we can just speak to the the faithfulness mm-hmm. um, that, that we weren't abandoned and that we... Um, we, we can't speak enough about uh, g- 
God's grace through the whole process. I mean, you got you're talking about something that I that I I don't think I've shared on this podcast, but that is has been really central to uh, our lives of late, which is that in some ways, like the will of the what you want God to do in your case giving you a child or having a pregnancy, like when that doesn't happen, it can be so easy to begin to think that God is not working. And and what I hear in your story is that as you start to look around the perimeter of that one thing that you desperately want, it's like suddenly God's hand is everywhere. And you talked about that at at numerous points where there there was this blessing and there was this blessing and God showed himself to be faithful here, even though sort of like the central thing remained unfulfilled for a long time. And I think that's such a powerful um, truth about the, about the way that God works, which is that we can have something that we desperately want and it not being fulfilled doesn't mean that God is not working. And it doesn't mean that he isn't proving himself faithful. You just have to start to look sort of around the perimeter. And so to be able, I think that's probably part of what you're giving to people. Who, or you kind of say, look, I understand that if you could have anything in the world, it would be this. That doesn't mean that God isn't still at work. Because, um, it, yeah, I've just, I've been there. I mean, our family has been there. Uh, and it's, it is, a, it's a powerful reminder to continue to look for God's hand. Yeah. So. That's a good way to end, Nate. I mean, this has been a great conversation hearing your story and your journey. I, you, we've been talking for almost an hour. I know. But I've been totally <laughs> riveted. Like, that's the thing. I mean, like, when I talk to Sung, I'm done after, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> no, it's that's a powerful story. Thank you guys for your vulnerability. That's yeah. really that's really meaningful. And I know it will be meaningful to other people yeah. who listen. Yeah. Is that it? That's it. Man, that's a good spot to stop. I, I again, thank you guys so much. And for all of our listeners, I hope that um, you found something that warms your heart and increases your faith. And uh, we hope to see you again uh, on our next episode. <laughs>